This is Spoken, and I'm Tash McGill. I grew up with my mother's voice in my ear, reading poetry and stories to us. It's Hiawatha by Longfellow I remember the most, that rhythmic beat of syllables and the echo that somehow sounded like leather and wood smoke. She made words sound like music and took me to a First Nations encampment beside a river with cool autumn air hanging all around. Often, I live in the world between words and sound. I write them, hundreds of them, day after day, and sometimes I speak them. Most often, I find myself writing words that are meant to be spoken aloud, whether it's a radio show intro, a podcast interview. I practice conversations while driving in my car that become letters or emails eventually, Uh, and even when I proofread from the page or the screen, I read it aloud, sometimes in my head. So this podcast is short, to the point, and hopefully a luscious little treat for your ears, the same way I love to hear my mother read Longfellow. I publish written work in several collections of essays, but in this podcast I will read select works aloud, along with snippets of poetry and old pieces of prose, things that have inspired those pieces. I'll fill you in a little bit behind the scenes, and I hope you enjoy it. So welcome to Spoken, a collection of essays and the sound of my voice. Today's essay is called Only the Good Dishes from my collection Sunday Kitchen Letter and I wrote it inspired by both friends who were running out of time and a desire to express love more wholly or uh, straightforwardly than words alone. Uh, I wrote it in the aftermath of a Christmas lunch celebration that had gone surprisingly well and so here it is, Only the Good Dishes. The first time one broke, it was a chip that spread then somewhat satisfyingly split down the middle after a long four-course midwinter meal. Fresh from the dishwasher, I'd plucked it, steaming and hot, and that small but precise pressure from my fingertips was enough to insist on the break. I didn't feel disappointment though, just a sort of pleasure. This was a reasonable Christmas, only one broken champagne flute as the total sum of all costs— Sometimes at the end of a dinner party or some other celebration, I find myself doing a stock take of scratched china plates, smashed glasses, chipped plates or lost serving spoons. It's an accounting of life lived around a table, the wastage of a kitchen. Perhaps the habit came from annual stock takes and wasted write-offs in the professional kitchens and bars I knew so well. Perhaps it grafted in even earlier, when I was a child and my grandmother's dinner set only came out on special occasions. It would be easy to think I was counting impositions, the knife marks on plates adding up to some tipping point when they would be relegated to the everyday pile or even worse, simply replaced. Are your crockery piles the same as mine? An ever-evolving pile of mismatched plates that always grow by four or eight at a time? For a while, I bought things in twos. I appreciated the natural mismatch of bowls that were generally the same size and shape, enough to fit together but not quite. It makes a kitchen feel quite functional when you are just as likely to grab a soup bowl for dishing out ingredients as you are to serve soup in it. Somehow, when nothing quite matches all together, there is always room for something a little bit unique, which is how the everyday should feel. Always expanding and changing, always room for one more bowl of soup or a dash of broth to loosen a stew for five instead of four mouths. None of my plates are really fancy, although I took great pride in gathering that first set of pristine modern white plates with a perfectly flat bottom and a slightly raised edge. I felt grown up and elegant all of a sudden. I had dishes that were, 
for good. And that was when it changed. The first time one broke, a chip that spread then somewhat satisfyingly split down the middle after a long four-course midwinter meal. Monday night dinners, birthdays and the odd special occasion were the only times I brought out those good dishes from their separate stack in the separate cupboard. I had purchased an extra cupboard for that tiny boxy kitchen just to make room for the dinner parties. I counted 67 occasions for that first plate and thought, good service, what a fine time to retire. When you begin to do the math, even on the best of plates, it doesn't take long to count cents instead of dollars for every good service. Breakage isn't waste. It's just the cost that comes with being used to show love. Glasses lifted to lips will eventually chip and plates will break. From now on, only the good dishes. It applies to the meal too. Only the good dishes. Make it all good. Have the best loaves. Let me make that favourite thing you love. And if I cannot make it, I will find it. I will test recipes until I find the best or add some of my own magic to it. And then I make only the good dishes. Let me feed you with my love. Some have accused me of trying too hard. A conversation I also sometimes have with myself in the mirror. Is this too much? Are you being too much in this moment? Are you too much altogether? Did you really need to make two hams on Christmas Day just to make sure everyone had leftovers? But I know the answer already. It hums in me. Only the good dishes and the best of things. Everything on a plate and I wait for people to taste my love. Or one, to find their favourite thing resides amongst the banquet. Perhaps I am trying to woo the universe, proving I am not afraid to live to the extent of my means, if not above it from time to time, just to see if I can. And to be found willing, I am brave with food and words when I do not have to speak aloud the little utterings of my heart. Perhaps everything is a little seduction and every guest is to be seduced a little. You're worth only the good dishes, I whisper, as I lay the table for my guests. I'm not going to waste any time in showing you the capacity of my love. Perhaps it's really me saying, I don't want to waste any time waiting for the chance to use only the good dishes. Maybe I'm worth the best of what I have. Maybe there's no time left for anything but the good dishes. And perhaps it's the kind of bargain you try and make with the coming turn of the calendar, that meaningless and yet magical night where all things feel fresh and as yet unwasted. This year I won't waste a moment. This year I'll live with the volume dialed up to 11. This year I'll say it out loud instead of with dishes. These days that stretch between Christmas and the new year are full of sharp, stinging self-reflection each year. All days between festivals are. Too many funerals amongst them this year and people too young among the dead. Unfinished business piles up. My father is dying and I don't know how to find my way to certainty that he knows that I love him. I count my days over and over and find too many wasted moments in them. I count days with those I love and think how we haven't had enough days or nights yet I still feel time is slipping away from us. I feel my heart aching and empty in ways that only cut this deep as the year turns. Another year of wasted chances, another year of unmet hopes, another year of whispered possibility and me, not brave enough to do anything but put out the good dishes in hopes they know it's how I love them. Maybe it creeps up on me because I'm eating only leftovers, the remnants of what was left behind when guests departed onto their next adventures and I cleared the table. 
On reflection, I should have planned a week of dinner parties to take up the spaces I always hope will be filled with invitation. There was one this year to another's table. It was rich, sumptuous and laid out with laughter. It was my kind of table, and all I brought to it were jars of flavour-packed little sauce bombs, chimichurri and caramelised onion and fig jam. I grew the parsley, oregano and chilli and picked only the good leaves. The day was sweet and long and it lingered into the next, when I returned to the delirious in-between of days and climbed a hill. I'm counting a year of festivals and what might have been among long periods of being secluded from the world and lockdowns, and another year removed from the tables around the world I have called home. The emptiness is still present, and I might be left with it, this echoing, billowy space, usually filled with the anticipation of departure, or falling into the arms of those I find so easy to say I love you to. So instead, I count the broken plates, the chipped glasses, the stained tablecloth. I count the marks people left on the good dishes, how they ate only the good things, and consumed my love even if I couldn't say it. Unpacking the dishwasher one more time, late in the evening by fairy lights while the last cookies bake, I indulge my imagination one last time. Some other kitchen, some future time when not everyone leaves to go home at the end of the night. Some people are already home. I broke a plate, I'll say, somewhat amused. Only a good one, I hope, he'll ask. He knows what that means to my heart, keeping account of how love was served. You know it, only the good ones, comes my reply knowing the smile is warm on my tone, the words deep in my throat. And I love you too, comes an answer from the other end of a kitchen that never feels empty. I've chosen a poem to share with you in this first episode called Counting Stars. I wrote it in 2016 and I was curious about discovery. Do we ever run out of curiosity? When does it end? And how do you know if you've learned enough or all things? I think that discovering is an art form that we could practice endlessly, always going deeper and higher and wider. Um, when can you say that you are known completely or that you ever know another enough? We are ever changing and ever expanding and always being reshaped by our knowing and being known of one another. And so this poem, Counting Stars uh, or the 19th. This then is how it can be in the midst of a storm on the sixth day of the seventh week, but only the nineteenth hour, now making a star map from definitions. This, then, is how it can be to know, but not make knowing a cage. Instead, just knowing a long intention and a longing for safe and true and kind, but knowing is measured so differently. This, then, is how it can be to halt abruptly at the past, the knowing and unknowing. One counts in minutes and hours and questions and answers and singular actions, and the other measures the expanse of singularity, like the universe, one ever-expanding idea of another, a deep blue diamond erupting from an earth stone, a long unceasing listen and look. This, then, is how to see one thing as another, by definition of all things and nothing, a half of a half and a whole and an inversion, an upside down moon, to see a star and not a starry sky. This then 
is to kiss your counting. Minutes, hours, touches, questions, with a soft, warm, expanding idea to hold them all. Your knowing, which is one thousand cuts in a stone chiseling me out, and my knowing, one gleaming stone that holds the deep ocean and expanding sky. This, then, is how it can be to learn to count stars and the passing of time in hours, words, questions and answers, and the size of an idea by the weight of warm navigation from 19 to 20. This was spoken by me, Tash McGill. Thanks for listening. I hope that you'll join me again. You can find my written work online at Substack or at TashMcGill.com. Find me on social media at TashMcGill. And as always, please subscribe, rate, review. Let me know what you think. Uh, today's episode soundtrack was composed by Anders Schilpulsen and the words spoken and written by me.